Hey everyone, welcome to Resurrection City Church. Like Julie said earlier, if this is your first time visiting with us, we're extremely happy uh, that you, you came to visit with us this Sunday morning. My name is Joel, I'm one of the pastors here. Like you just saw in the video too, we're, we want to say uh, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers watching. We know that uh, this, is a, uh, this is not something you signed up to do as a mom, to <laughs> mother children through a pandemic. And so we're so thankful and grateful that for you uh, living out that ministry that God has given you in this time to, to serve and love uh, the children that he has has placed under your care. And so we're, we're thankful for you. We want to encourage you to continue to endure, uh, to persevere in it, because there is great value and, and need for good mothers today. So thank you for that as as well. I also just want to, want to quickly say, too, like we do care a lot about justice here at Red City. It's kind of a weird week for us to be throwing all this stuff in at once, talking about uh, the Ahmaud Arbery uh, shooting, talking about Mother's Day, talking about the Worthy of the Call uh, initiative that we've kind of been doing at Red City, and then and also getting back to the book of John. So it feels like a lot, but I'm excited for us to be able to do it. And we're glad that you're, you're here experiencing it with us this morning. Um, what we're going to do now is we're going to go through our sermon. We're, we're going to be going back through the book of John, um, kind of after last week we kind of uh, introduced that Worthy of the Call initiative. We're going to be jumping back into the, the book of John. We're going to be continuing in the book of John. Um, but what we're going to be doing is trying to sort of, uh, when we can in John, without completely like, uh, you know, ruining the good exegesis of the text. We're going to be trying to draw it back to that initiative and draw it back to those three things that we had as part of that. So you can look out for that. We'll, we'll bring that up for sure in this sermon. And and if you have questions, we, we have a time of Q&A at the end of the service as well. So if you have a question about something or, or uh, wanna, want me to go more in depth on something um, that I talk about, feel free to throw in the comments to ask the question. And if we have time... Um, We'll get to that afterwards. So yeah, one of the cool things about uh, the way we're doing this now is we have a chance to do that. And we've had some really good questions that have come in here uh, at different times uh, since we've been doing this Q&A. So feel free to throw those in. Don't hesitate. Um, I love answering questions and getting nerdy on different things. So please give me the opportunity to do that when we're done with the service here. Um, so like I said, we're getting back into the book of John, and um, what we're in John uh, chapter 3, the very end of chapter 3, uh, verses 22 to 36 today. I'm going to read all of those for you, but before I do, I just want to give you a little bit of context. Uh, if you remember, for those of you who, this was back uh, a long time ago when we were meeting uh, live, um, it's actually, boy, was it our last, I think it might have been our last sermon that we did before we went to... Uh, meeting online here. Um, we talked about John the Baptist, and we did a sermon kind of on his ministry and him setting up being a witness for Jesus. Now, in this passage, we actually go back to John the Baptist. John kind of uh, deviates from the story of Jesus and brings us back to talk about John the Baptist one more time. And it's a really cool, intimate, sort of just small story that is packed with, I think, explosive um explosive content for us today. Um, and so I'm excited to talk about that. What I want to do is I want to read through the passage and then we'll kind of hop into breaking down uh, the different uh, sections of it as we go and, and, and walking through application as well. So if you have a Bible, feel free to turn to John 3. You can follow along with me um, here. I'm reading from the NIV version. 
After this, this is uh, chapter 3, verses, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John, this is John the Baptist, also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of the, uh, John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about John's response to what is happening in this passage. So you, uh, well, let's go to verse 26 here again, just to kind of set up what's going on. Remember that John is, John the Baptist, he has gone out into the wilderness. He's been given this ministry by God to sort of prepare the way for God to come. We talked about that in the second sermon in the series. If you want to learn more about John the Baptist, I encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon. We kind of break down what he's doing in a lot more depth. We also have another video on the website on uh, sorry on YouTube where I really go into depth on what John the Baptist is doing and sort of in a good kind of historical context how people would have understand what he's doing so if you want more background on the on the um, on John the Baptist please check that stuff out we're not going to go into super a lot of depth on it today I want to talk instead about John's like I said his response to Jesus's ministry starting to grow now um, alongside and sort of uh, eclipsing John's ministry So in in verse 26, um, they came to John, this is John's disciples, and said to him, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, this is Jesus, they said, they remember when he had met Jesus, he said, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. So it's like, like, just in case, John, you didn't realize that guy, remember you were really like awesome, you had been baptizing a bunch of people, you'd been this rock star prophet who'd had this awesome ministry, remember that? Well, that guy Jesus, uh, who you came and testified about, who you kind of like vindicated in a sense, who you kind of uh, maybe gave a, go- a a green light to, you told people, this guy's pretty cool too. Uh, it seems like everyone's leaving us and going to him now. They're getting baptized from him instead. And, and, and so... Um, I think we can kind of understand this impulse from John's disciples here. Um, John has been putting his life on the line, preaching this uncomfortable message. He's been working for probably a few years, faithfully carving out this ministry. Um, the way we may, might talk about it today is he's he's making his mark. He's fulfilling his dream, this ministry that God has put on him. 
And he's going out and doing that faithfully, that this thing he's, he's been trying to live out, he's put a lot of work towards, and now he's losing all that. This upstart new ministry has started. A bunch of people start following this new guy, going to his church, watching his live stream instead of John's. Um, uh, all, the, all the news organizations are talking about this other guy, Jesus, instead. Jesus is getting asked to, to write on all these cool Jewish blogs now instead of John the Baptist, right? We can, we can kind of understand how this might play out today in our time. And, and, and so what are you thinking? What, what, you know, we're, we're in line with John's uh, disciples here, I think, about what, how we might respond to this. We might say, John, you got to reassert your ministry, dude. you got to push through this adversity. you got to fight. This is why God gives us challenges, so we can overcome them and we can be better than we were before. That's how we would view this. I, I, I'm convinced of that. And that's how John's disciples might be thinking about what John should be doing here as well. Makes perfect sense for us. But this isn't how John responds. And I want us to sit today at John the Baptist's feet and learn from his response. As we talk about what it looks like to be really a servant, to really follow uh, Jesus and to have uh, Christ-like ambition. That's our big idea today in, in the sermon, uh, is that John the Baptist shows us the heart of a servant who has Christ-like ambition. Okay, Christ-like ambition. We're going to talk about that and the idea of servanthood as we go throughout uh, the service. Now, to tie this into this initiative we've been talking about, remember, we're in the midst of this Worthy of the Call initiative where we've been trying to, um, Julie talked about this a little bit earlier, we're, we're, we're trying to put everything that we're doing right now into sort of walking in a way that's worthy of the calling that God has put on us, to kind of give some structure to what we're doing in this unstructured time, uh, to give us a goal to shoot for, to try to give us steps to live in the middle of a time that no one knows how, how, how to deal with, okay? We, we, we are sitting around uh, fundamentally uh, understanding we don't know what to do right now. So we're trying to sort of give ourselves um, a form in which our lives can take in the midst of this uh, crazy pandemic and social distancing and uh, lockdown orders that we're in the midst of living in. And if you remember, the third thing that we talked about was to serve generously. Okay, so this idea of serving is something we want to still have on our minds, even in, in a time where service might look a little bit different. And so for us, what I want to do today is talk about what it looks like for us to serve in a way that, that follows the, the ambition, the type of ambition we should have as servants in, uh, as we follow Jesus. And John the Baptist gives us this sort of uh, perfect um, uh, example of that. Now, here's the thing where, where ambition is, is, is kind of interesting because we have a very set definition of ambition in our society today. Actually, in our community group this week, we were talking about this a little bit and how, um, I don't know if you guys remember, I, didn't, I don't see any of these anymore, but at the beginning of the sort of social distancing and sort of the lockdown orders that had started coming through, you started to see some of these posts circulate on social media about how productive famous people were in the past. Like, um... Isaac Newton discovered gravity during a pandemic. Did you guys realize that? He was social distancing on his luxurious estate out in the countryside when that apple hit him on the head. Or Shakespeare wrote one of his, I don't remember which one, he wrote one of his plays apparently on uh, quarantine of some kind. And so there's this, there was sort of these circulating things like, look at, this is what great people do when they're stuck at home. Are you great? You should write the next great American novel. You should solve uh, cancer. You you know whatever. Do something great on your time off. That's what a really ambitious good person would do right now. And we were talking about in the, in community group how this pressure sort of like that that just creates like a burden or a pressure on a lot of us. Like 
oh man, I am an, you know, I, I do kind of want to have ambition. I do want to be a great person. We all feel that pressure and this is what it looks like to do that. So I guess we should be like really productive in this time. And we've, I mean, like I said, I don't see these anymore. I think pretty quickly we all found that like it was hard enough to just do regular stuff in this big shift. And that's like, okay, okay. I want to, first of all, just this is a total side note, but that's okay, all right? This is that burden, that pressure you might've felt in seeing those. I remember I felt it too. Uh, you don't need to, there, you don't need to be Isaac Newton, okay? Don't worry about being Isaac Newton or William Shakespeare or whoever else, okay? It is okay to, to, to take that pressure off of yourself. But I think the fact that we see these pop up show us this obsession we have with ambition and success and achievement in our society. Because we are trying to take every opportunity to increase our profile, to, to gain more uh, success, to achieve more and more and more. That's the dominant mindset for many of us. Um, and, and, and many of us, you know, maybe you watch Tiger King over this. And that's a story about one man's ambition getting the better of him. And it causes causing him to end up in prison, right? We, we, we see it happen all the time where, where our ambition outgrows uh, our ability to, to do anything and we, we stretch ourselves too far and we end up hurting ourselves, but we're still told that we have to be constantly achieving and, and having this sort of greatness. So that's how we view ambition today. And there are all sorts of influencers. There's all sorts of coaches. Frankly, there's a lot of pastors that you can go find who are going to kind of sell you this sort of um, worldly idea of ambition and tell you how God or Jesus is going to help you get whatever you're trying to achieve. It's, you don't have to look that hard to find that if you want it. Um, and, and John sort of gives us a different sort of ambition here. So the ambition that we have today is a sort of a, a sort of a salvation without God, trying to save ourselves without God through achievement, through our works, through our attainment of success and creating for ourselves a sort of salvation here on earth. That's what we're we're chasing after. John tells us what it looks like to have a godly ambition, a sort of servant-hearted ambition when we, we, when we put ourselves in a proper relation to God and, and can see salvation as it's supposed to be seen, as coming from God. And so what we're going to talk about today is how John shows us that in the passage. So our first point of application is that servants with Christ-like ambition uh, view everything as a gift, and they don't feel this sort of uh, relentless need to compete with others as if it's, everything is a zero-sum game, as if it's, 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 not, you know, it's something you have to go get for yourself. They view all the things that we get as a gift from God. And he says this um, in in, uh, in in verse uh, 29, I think it is. I actually don't have the verse on here, which is stupid of me. Uh, sorry, it's I think it's 27, actually. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. So the way that the, the sort of salvation without God works is I want, I work, I get credit and glory, and maybe God helps me out along the way. John has a very different view of this. He has a view that says, no, whatever you get is a gift from God, and it's your job to sort of uh, figure out how to use that for God's glory. Now, in the ancient world, you see this idea of gifting a lot in the Bible. You don't have to just find it in, in the book of John here. You find it in Paul a lot of times, talking about gifts, maybe gifts of the Spirit. We talk about the body metaphor that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12 and in other places. In the ancient world, this is how society worked. Um, you didn't have governments that sort of funded everything, and you didn't really have uh, businesses that would come up and, and take over everything either. What you really had is you sort of had these elite benefactors who would give gifts 
gifts and supply cities. They would supply clients. They would supply temples, etc. A lot of the, what people had in the ancient world came from these elite benefactors who would give gifts. Now, certain expectations that might come with those gifts, but but that's a largely how a lot of stuff functioned in the ancient world. And so, when when if we kind of put ourselves in that standpoint in that first century context or understanding, God is the benefactor. He is the only elite benefactor, and we are reliant on Him. And everything that He gives us is a gift to be used, sort of, for His purposes, because it's His stuff that He gives us. Now, it's ours to use. We get to kind of choose how we're going to use it. But the goal, the goal, the, the sort of the, the reason it's given to us is to be used for His glory. God gives, we receive, we're not owed anything, which means that God can't be bought or harnessed or to help you accomplish your dreams, even if they're good. God's not some self-help book author. If he wanted to, he could claim to be. He's written the most popular book uh, in history. It's been on, it's on the uh, uh, 10 billion copies sold list um, <laughs> for sure, but the Bible's not a self-help book. Okay, we don't worship God because of how many people have bought his book. Okay, so if you have a skill, that's great, but it's a gift. All right, if you have this title at your workplace or at your church that you're in, that's awesome, but it's a gift. All right, if you've got a new job recently, if you've gotten a pay raise, if you've just gotten a new house, that's awesome. But don't forget that that's a gift. Um, and all of it is to be used for God's glory because that's why he's given it to us. So if that's the case, if that's how we view it, then we would have no reason to get mad or feel the need to pour all of that back into the ambition game when it's all a gift anyway. Instead, we can sort of sit back and sort of just relax and ask ourselves, how can I use this to bring glory to the one who gave it to me? Maybe he gave it to me for some purpose that is not necessarily for my achievement or my my own self-glory. It's something that, to do with him, all right? It, it completely shifts our mindset for how we're used to viewing um, sort of the things that we get today in our society. And it's a, it's a, it, it's one, if we're honest, it takes a lot of burden off of ourselves. It, it's one that is, it makes us feel a lot less pressure. It's a much uh, lighter yoke than what we put on ourselves or what society puts on this. And this is the mindset of a servant, a mindset whose ambition intersects with Christ's. Now, John continues, he says in verses 28 to 29, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. So he's telling his disciples, you guys remember what I said when I first met him, right? I didn't just give him my stamp of approval. I didn't say, you know, you know what, young buck, you can make it in this world too. You know, it, it wasn't that. It was, no, this guy, like I'm here to sort of set the stage for him. But then after that, it's his show. Like it's his, he's the one who's going to take over after this. The bri- And he brings up this awesome analogy. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. So he introduces this wedding idea. And we find this idea of weddings at other places in the Bible too. But here's what John is specifically talking about. Jesus is coming. And remember, this is what the book of John is all about. Jesus is is coming. And this is who Jesus is, and this is what it means that Jesus has come. That's the whole point of the book. His wedding is like a groom coming, or sorry, his coming is like a groom coming to his wedding. And it's a party that we're all invited to. Now, to be a servant, to be someone like John, is to be like a a groomsman or a bridesmaid at this wedding. And so this is our second point of application, is that servants with Christ-like ambition have the joy and the focus of a groomsman or a bridesmaid. Okay, so those two things, groomsmen and bridesmaids have 
they have two things. They have joy. They love the people that are getting married. They are so excited to see those two come together. And that is what their joy is about. Their joy is not in what's happening with them, right? They might look good, but they're not that concerned about how good they look. Their joy is what's taking place in the lives of these other two people. And because of that, they have a, a focus, okay? Doing all that they can to keep that special day on track, okay? If, you know, if you've been a groomsman or a bridesmaid or if, if you've been in a wedding, you know, you maybe assign um, to the groomsmen and bridesmaids these special jobs. They kind of are the ones who make a lot of the day happen, okay? They, they, they're the ones who get there early, set up the, maybe the reception venue. They leave the wedding early to get everything uh, ready to go for when people start to arrive for the dance or whatever. Like, they have jobs behind the scenes. They do a lot more than just stand on stage and look pretty and then eat a meal next to the bride and groom at the, at the dinner, right? They, they have a lot of other stuff they're doing. They're very focused. And, and, and you've been at weddings where some of, the, some of them are, like, really focused. Like, hey, we are making, this is going to be, this is my best friend's wedding and it is going to be her perfect day. Okay, you, you've, you've all seen that, I imagine, right? That's what we should have as servants is that sort of focus at making sure that this happens. Now, I can think of a really bad example, and it's hard for me to find like analogies or TV shows that everyone's seen, but I think that I would imagine most of you watching have seen this one. One of my favorite episodes of The Office ever, it might be my very favorite episode, is, is at Phyllis's wedding. It's in season four, and this is the one where Michael... Uh, Scott is so pumped because he gets to be a part of the wedding and he keeps trying to take the wedding over. He's not even a groomsman or a bridesmaid. His job is to push Phyllis's dad, who's in a wheelchair, down the aisle as part of the giving away part of, of the ceremony. And Phyllis, knowing Michael's ego, thought, you know, if she lets him be a part of it, he'll uh, give her extra time off. That was her sort of gambit in it. And Michael's ego just completely takes over the wedding. And so he has this great quote, it should be up on the screen here for you, where he says, me walking Phyllis down the aisle was supposed to be the highlight of the wedding. Okay, and it's just, it's hilarious, especially if you watch The Office, you know Michael Scott, but it's also like completely wrong, right? If you're not one of the people getting married, you should have nothing in the wedding that's the highlight, okay? Right? That, that, that is not your job. But that is what so many of us do with our talents and our gifts. We do it in the church. We do it in our own lives as we think, oh, the highlight was supposed to be me doing this. That's what we, we think about with, when it comes to our skills and our gifts and our own glory. Instead of thinking the highlight is, is, is the one who we're serving and his wedding. Okay, that's what John is saying here. And what we are like, we are a lot more like Michael Scott than we care to admit. Okay, and that is something for us to think about is, is what is our joy? What is our focus on when we serve? Is it like Michael Scott? Are we trying to be the highlight of this? Or are we like hoping Jesus is going to be the highlight of it and, and having, doing what we can to make that be the case? And John goes further in, in, in verse uh, 30. He says, this is one of the, this is something you see people post this in their Instagram bios. I've seen people post this. I love it. It is such, it is one of the, I think it's one of the, uh, if you're looking for verses in the Bible that, that give us a, a way, a, how we should live, this should be one of the main verses in that list. John 3.30, he must become greater, I must become less. So John's ambition, this is his ambition, this is his goal is not tied to his own success at all. In fact, it's tied to Jesus's. And so, so that means, if that means that for Jesus to be made greater is, is for him to diminish, he's actually happy for that to happen. So think about how counter that is to the gospel of self-love 
that this is, right? The self-love that we're told that we're supposed to have for ourselves, um, the self-achievement, the self-glory, the competition that we find ourselves in all the time, having envy for coworkers or other people in a field that we like, um, having envy with friends, having envy with classmates maybe, envy about other people in church and what they get to do that we don't. This is so counter to that because... um, the goal is to not think about yourself at all, right? It should not be to think about yourself at all. I'm not saying you should hate yourself, but I'm saying you should just think about yourself less and think about Jesus more and how can I serve him and make him great. And so this is our third point of application, that servants with Christ-like ambition don't seek recognition. They're actually seeking to make Jesus greater. Okay, wherever they're at, they want to make Jesus greater. If God chooses to give you great influence, if he chooses to give you a great job, lots of money, if he puts you at the top of your field, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. I want to celebrate that with you too. You should celebrate that as well. But you should celebrate it all as a gift and just recognize that you now have a higher pedestal from which to increase Jesus and to decrease yourself. That's what that means. Okay, That's the type of celebrating you should do. So, so what this looks like for us is letting people know that we're content in Jesus, not in titles, right? Not, not, not boasting about what we've been given, but letting people know that this is great and all, but I'm actually more happy that I am known by God and, and that he's given me this opportunity to serve him. And I want to do whatever I can to serve it as well as I can, right? It means not burning when we see someone else have success that you don't. It means accepting that what's been given to you is, is being given to you for a reason. And, and, and it means uh, looking at that role and celebrating it and, and instead of looking at what you wish you could have or wish you could be and asking, what do I have and how can I like maximize this for God's glory? How can I, how can I, uh, I take this gift that I've been given and sort of get the most out of it instead of wishing you had some other gift? That's what, our, that's what we should be doing. We should be learning to give thanks in all situations that we're in. Okay, that's how we should be responding. That's the heart of a servant. Okay, so maybe you're hearing all of this stuff and you're like, this is all great and stuff, but there's one thing that's like nagging at you in the back of your mind and it's like, Jesus is a really big glory hound. He just like is all about, you know, like, you know, trying to get me to serve him. Like, I don't know how, you know, why, why, is, why, why is that the case? Like, you know, and maybe you're like, you're like, I know that that's probably wrong, but like, you're, maybe you're thinking it, okay? Now, the reason that, that we get out of the way for Jesus and the reason we're challenging it is because of what he does for us and what type of king he is for us. See, we're not just getting out of the way of a, of a narcissistic, crazy person. We're getting out of the way of someone who did something far, who served us in a far greater way than we will ever serve him. And we find this in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Uh, in verses 5 and 6, this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing and he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Okay. Now, you'll notice that I've been talking today, I've been using John as the example, but I've been calling it Christ-like ambition. This is why I've been calling it that. Paul says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Okay, so stop there for a second. What Paul is saying is that Jesus, he, he comes from God, he's from heaven, he is God. Remember, this is the beginning of John talks all about this, right? This is, this is the jumping off point for the book of John. But notice what he says there, that despite the fact that Jesus has equality with God, something none of us have, 
he did not view that equality as something that was like a right of his, that he had to have and no one else could have. That's how we, we, we view a lot of times fairness in our world is we think, well, it's only fair that whatever, you know, wh- whatever that person has, I get it too, or whatever I'm supposed to have, I'm vindicated in getting it. That's how we view fairness and equality sometimes in our world. And Jesus doesn't have that view. He, he is equal to God, but his way of exercising that equality is in love to give it up for us, to sacrifice for himself, to take himself down from that pedestal and to come down and to lower himself, not just to our state, but lower than us. That's what he says in this next part. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a, what? Of a servant. Okay, this is what servanthood looks like when Jesus does it for us, is to be made in human likeness, to trade one great standing for another lower one and to not stop there. Okay? And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So he didn't just lower himself down to our standpoint. He lowered himself down to, the, to someone who is willing to die. And, and when Paul says even death on a cross, he's not just saying that he was willing to die for us. That, that's a stature of where Jesus found himself when he died. To die on a Roman cross was the most shameful way that someone could die in that society. It's where you put the worst people criminals, um, insurrectionists, the people that the Romans viewed as the lowest types of people were the ones who ended up on crosses, okay? God to dead criminal, that's the fall we're talking about here. That's a bigger fall than Tiger King to 22 years in, in jail or whatever other documentaries we like to watch about the falls of certain people to these low statures. This, this, this eclipses all of those. It's bigger than all of those. And he's doing it to serve us and we get to serve this king. So, because of all that, Paul is not done. He continues, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, and that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His death is the means to his victory and his enthronement, which means his death is is the, is the means to our achievement and our success. It is not something we attain, it's something he's attained for us. So our achievement, our success, our value, our worth is found in Jesus's servant mindset of giving himself up, of dying on the cross, and of being raised again. And our being raised again is because of him. It's not something we do. The gifts that we receive, it's because of him. It's not something we do. And so because of that, and this is our last point of application here, we get to to follow this loving servant king, the ultimate servant, the perfect model, the one who makes us free to get to serve, uh, the, the one who uh, frees us from needing to discover uh, uh, you know, success, the one who makes us free from having to play the sort of ambition game because we get to root our ambition and our salvation in him instead of what we do instead. And so now we serve in that same mindset. We, get, we be like the one who we follow. And we can trust that we're not serving some uh, glory hand. We're not, we're not serving someone who's going to be harsh with our service. We're serving someone who, who serves us back by giving himself up, who, who loves us in ways that we cannot truly understand. As much as we're going to try to model and serve Jesus in what we do, in serving generously over this Worthy of the Call initiative, all of our service is going to stop well short of Jesus' service for us. But we get the opportunity to serve him and we can trust him with our service, with our ambition 
We can trust him in that. And that is sort of our, uh, our great glory. So what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray to close us. And if we have any Q&A, um, we will do that. Okay, sounds like we do have a couple of questions or, or at least one. So let me pray here and then we will uh, we'll do that and we'll head into the time of, of communion. Lord, we thank you that um, you call us into service, but you don't call us into service to be um, maligned. You call us into a service that, that makes us truly who we're supposed to be because us serving is us being like the truly human one, being like Jesus who gave himself up for us in love. And so when we, when we serve him, we are, we are serving in the way that is going to make us the most happy. It's going to give us the greatest sense of achievement, far greater than any achievement or ambition um, that we could achieve on our own here in this world. And so, Lord, we thank you for, for calling us into that. We thank you that you have served us with, with such great love, um, with, with such, a, such an incredible mindset, Lord. I pray that you'd help us to live that out in our service as we, as we find different ways to serve in the midst of us, uh, of this pandemic. Give us wisdom as we serve, Lord. Um, serve each other generously. Serve our, our city, our communities, our neighbors generously, Lord. Help us to do that with the same mindset that Jesus has. Lord, help us to, to have the mindset to, to decrease rather than increase, Lord. And I pray that you would increase in the midst of this. We pray all this in the name of your incredible son, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so uh, I guess we have a, a question or two. Yes, we do. We've got a question. Um, I've, I'll try to summarize a little bit. Uh, the question is, why do you think John is still baptizing people at this point if uh, he's kind of saying that, you know, if he's just a friend of the bridegroom, why doesn't he just step aside and say, all right, I'm done. And even looking ahead in chapter four, it sounds like people are saying Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John. So it sounds like he's still doing it even after Jesus shows up. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's actually super interesting. This is the only gospel that tells us that Jesus baptized. It's it's the only place that we kind of understood that, uh, that he was also doing it. But it makes sense because the church has continued to baptize people um, as well, right? For... for uh, all these different, all these years, we've continued to baptize as well. So it is kind of interesting that we see Jesus carry that on, and we see the early church start to do it here. But this is the only place we see Jesus doing it. So why does why does Jesus or why does John continue to baptize even though Jesus's ministry has started? It's a really good question. We don't actually get an answer to it. So all I can do is speculate on it. Um, but I think that there's some really like uh, co- like you know good reasons why we could could assume that that's taking place. First of all. Um, nowhere in the beginning of the book of John does Jesus say to John, all right, dude, uh, you can retire now. You're done. He doesn't, he doesn't say that to John. He just goes and starts his own ministry up as well. And you have to remember at the point, especially in John, right? How do, how do we first meet John the Baptist? It's because he's become such an important uh, prophetic figure that um, these important religious authorities, religious and political authorities from Jerusalem, from the temple, are coming to John to see what he's up to. So he's well known, and he's so, John the Baptist is so well known that we know about him from outside sources, outside the Bible, too. Uh, in, our, in our main uh, uh, outside history of the Bible that we have of the first century of this time, a, a Jewish writer named Josephus, uh, John the Baptist actually shows up in there. So he was well, very well known at the time. People had 
and we, we see how popular he is in from the Gospels as well. So John's following, it's not the kind of thing that like John is just going to stop doing right away. Um, he still has like a platform that he can use to continue to uh, bring like recognition to Jesus and his ministry. So it makes sense that John would sort of maybe taper that ministry off, right? People are still going to be coming to him. Just because John is, has testified to Jesus doesn't mean that... Uh, like everyone now knows who Jesus is. John doesn't have an Instagram post that he can share with everybody. People are, are haven't heard about Jesus. Many of them probably have not heard about Jesus at this point, but they do know John. So they're still coming to him. John's message still fits with Jesus' coming. He can still baptize people for re- repentance and, um, and sort of this cleansing uh, sort of new movement that he's starting, but he can start to tell people... Um, yeah, but like this is just the precursor, you know, this Jesus guy. You need to go find him now because he's the one that's bringing the fulfillment of what I've started. So I think it, it makes sense from a logistical standpoint for John to sort of taper his ministry off, which is kind of what what we see him doing, right? He says uh, he he's he's already starting to decrease. We see it taking place and he kind of is okay with that sort of of role. And John actually ends up in prison eventually. You'll notice in the passage that it says this was before he ended up in prison. The story of John's imprisonment is in the other three Gospels, and actually in Josephus, too. We, we get a pretty detailed account of John. Uh, John continues to be a prophet, it seems like, from the Gospels and um, and uh, in Josephus. Um, and that's what gets him thrown in jail and eventually beheaded. So, um, yeah, uh, that's another thing about being a servant like John, is you might go to jail and get your head cut off. So, <laughs> just kidding, hopefully. All right, do we have any other questions? We do. Okay. Um, okay, so the next question uh, is that, says, you mentioned that the Bible is not a self-help book. In what ways does our culture tend to use it as a self-help book? Good question. I think, um, so here's, here's one of the hard parts about it, is the Bible talks a lot about our flourishing and our joy and our happiness, which are all things that are associated with sort of a modern-day self-help movement. And so it makes sense that those things are going to get intertwined, right? And I think um, this is a this sort of a secondary uh, aside to that, but the ways in which we read our Bibles, I think, really makes it easy for us to read it as a self-help book. Um, there is value in, in there's, okay, in the spring retreat packet that we put out, we talked about memorizing verses, right? We, we, we want to encourage you to memorize verses. But we get taught a lot of times to read our Bibles as if it's just like, just a collection of sentences that are all kind of randomly thrown together in a book. And we don't read it as a story and we don't, we're not great always at reading it in context. And so that makes it so we can do things like grab a verse, um, like in Jeremiah 29, 11, this is, um, one of the most famous verses in the whole Bible where, uh, where, where uh, G- God is telling the prophet Jeremiah, I have uh, like plans to prosper you and not to harm you and for your welfare and your peace. And we love that, right? We want to think God is out there and he's about our, our um, he has a good plan for us he's about, and it's got to do with our, our flourishing and our goodness. And we don't realize the context of that is that this is a group of people who are going into exile for 70 years plus years into almost like some of them into slavery. So God is telling in the midst of that, in the midst of you like not living a very fulfilled life from a lot of standpoints, God has a plan in in the midst of that. And so what we do is we find these verses that seem to fit like what we want and we, we grab them out. We don't read our Bibles well and put them in a context and understand 
how joy, how flourishing, uh, flour, uh, flourishing, how, how happiness are flowing out of like the center of the Bible, which is the story about God redeeming uh, fallen people, uh, bringing creation back into loving relationship with him and saving us through Jesus. That's what the Bible is about. And so any happiness flourishing that we have is a part of that story. To re- so to really understand it, we have to get that story, which means we have to learn to read our Bible as well which is why it's so important that you are reading your Bible well. And, and in, our, um, in that spring retreat, Connecting with God material we put out, we actually put in uh, one of the sections in there is how to read your Bible well, to kind of get good context, to read it for all it's worth. Uh, we did a Bible study through First Thessalonians where we kind of, 1 and Second Thessalonians uh, over Zoom that we just wrapped up here a few weeks ago that was kind of talking about that. We, we might start up another one of those. So if you want to learn how to read your Bible well and not just get caught up in reading it as a sort of self-help book, um, learn learn to read it well. Like I think that that's the way to do it. And you'll find out how the what the Bible says about flourishing, joy, all these things that we uh, uh, deeply seek after are fulfilled in Jesus and in him specifically in that story that the Bible's telling us. So, okay, cool. I hope that answers your questions. I'm assuming we're done. Okay, great. All right, we're going to close now with our benediction. Our benediction actually comes today from Philippians 2, 1 to 4. That's actually that passage that we ended the sermon with, uh, talking about Jesus uh, emptying himself um, on our behalf. We're actually going to take the first few verses of that passage. Philippians 2, 1 to 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. We need that so much in this time. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. We, that's our benediction as you go this week. We, we pray that you would go out in valuing others above yourselves. That's going to lead to justice in our society, which we talked about earlier. It's going to lead to service of the one who served us if we have that mindset. So that's our prayer. You go out in that mindset from this place this week. Have a great week, everybody. Hopefully, we'll see you on the Zoom coffee hour afterwards. Um, It's going to be right after this. The link should be in the comments. And also tonight, we're going to be doing prayer, as always, at 730, uh, also over Zoom. Hope to see you at one of those places. And until next week, um, have a great time, everyone.